right, you guys can have a seat. Our kids can head up to be with our team in Redemption Kids this morning. And I'd like to invite uh, everyone to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 5 this morning. And as you turn there, let me just welcome you to the gathering of Redemption Hill Church. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as our lead pastor. And uh, we love to come together on Sundays to get to know God more, to rejoice in who He is, and to help one another uh, discover the life that Jesus intends for us to experience. So if you're, if you're a new guest, let me uh, welcome you. Just let's give it up for all of our new guests here this morning. Special uh, to have you in attendance today. And uh, we'd love for you to just fill out the Connect card and drop it in the box on your way out so that we can get to know you. We love to put uh, names and faces together um, in our church because not only God loves people, but uh, because he has loved us, so we love one another and we love everyone that comes into our midst. Well, um, also, just let me encourage you, if, if you've never been to Next, it's a, a, a free luncheon right after the service where uh, you can get to know some other people, learn a bit about the, the mission and vision of Redemption Hill. So uh, please stick around for that if you've never had the opportunity to attend Next. Well, um, in case you missed it last night, come on now, we're all, hey, I'm hyped, but let's make sure to, I just... You know, not to get too preachy, but we got to get as excited about Jesus as the Red Sox. But, hey, we can give it up for the Red Sox. Come on, we're up 3-1. That's right. And, um, you know, since we, since we saw that 86-year curse broken, like, we just now as fans, we just expect the blessing and don't fear the curse, you know? So it's like we can just be confident coming in that we're going to close them out in L.A. tonight. And, uh, you know, bring that trophy. Anybody going to the, to the parade? Duck boats? Anybody? Yeah, come on. Send me an invitation. I might try to make it with you, all right? Um, well, listen, you know, and what I love about this World Series, all right, just I haven't been able to catch every moment of all the, you know, pregame and the, even the games themselves. Anybody stay up for 18 innings, by the way? Just, okay, you're crazy, Pamela, all right? I'm just saying. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing that I love that I could stay up for was some of the pregame, uh, you know, uh, you know, broadcast, and uh, we have to love as Red Sox fans that they've brought on our man, Big Poppy, you know, to the broadcast. And so um, he's been calling, he's like, Poppy's hilarious. I was talking to Reddy about it earlier today. He's like, this guy doesn't need a script. He probably doesn't need to prepare, you know, it's just like show up, be himself, and it's like great TV, you know. So he's been, have you caught it? He's been calling himself the Dominican Rosenthal. Anybody catch that? So, like, Ken Rosenthal is a, a white reporter, and uh, so Poppy is, like, calling himself, now he's the Dominican Rosenthal, you know, it's just hilarious. So, uh, I'm like, the, I'm like the, the white Cora uh, today, you know what I'm saying? Alex Cora, huh? Or, or I might get a little hot, so, you know, how about, how about I just go into the Steve Pierce mode, huh? Come on now, huh? Anybody see that? I mean, hey, Steve Pierce, this man, he, I'm going to take a guitar here, I mean, this man has... He has the clutch gene, you know what I'm saying? I was telling my dad, we were watching at the end of the game uh, last night, and I was saying, you know what, Steve Pierce, he's probably either, he or J.D. Martinez are going to hit a home run, uh, because, you know, Martinez is one of the best hitters in baseball, uh, but Steve Pierce, if you ever watched any of the, the Red Sox-Yankees series, I mean, the man had like three home runs in one game, so if you do that against the Yankees, I'm thinking you're going to show up for the World Series, you know what I'm saying? And sure enough, home run ties it up. Then in the ninth, I think it was, uh, three-run double, Red Sox are rolling, you know. So, uh, hey, we can get excited about 
uh, the Red Sox today. Uh, but we can be even more excited about Jesus. I just I wanted to wear the socks just to support our city. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but there's even a little something deeper if I remember to, to shout it out at the end of the sermon here, okay? So, hey, how about this? Let's pray. Let's get into God's word. Let's study. Let's receive from God. As this, this is the first time we're hearing these words, to be in awe, to receive what God wants us to hear. Never too familiar, always in awe of who he is and what he wants to speak to us. Uh, so let's pray together. Father, we are grateful to be uh, together today in your name. Father, we are who we are by your grace and your grace alone. And so, Lord, we ask that in these moments, by your Holy Spirit, who is alive and at work, we pray that your Spirit would open our eyes to see who you are and that we would, in light of who you are, see who you desire for us to be day by day by day. And so, Father, as we hear these words of Jesus this morning, may we receive them as what they are, the very words of God. May we not treat these moments with levity or casualness, but Lord, may we receive in these moments exactly what you want to speak to us, that our lives would continue to forever be changed by your love, your grace, your mercy, your power. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So this morning we're going to continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And and as we've been saying, this was Jesus' longest recorded sermon in the Gospels. uh, And it is really what we could say his magnum opus in terms of just the, 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 the amazing, captivating, beneficial teaching of Jesus. What he's doing on the Sermon on the Mount is this. He's just saying like, hey, the kingdom is here, so get on my team. You know what I'm saying? I didn't plan for that, but um, you know, like the kingdom is here, so you need to side with me. You need to follow me. And he even says that in chapter 4, verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's teaching us what life looks like in his kingdom. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to know what it's like, then become very, very, very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. We saw the first two weeks that Jesus spoke these words of blessing over the crowds, over his disciples who who had gathered around him as he sat down to teach on the mountain. And when Jesus started speaking these words of blessing, he was revealing what the character of a follower of him looks like. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so it's in these introductory words that Jesus is saying, hey, This is what a person looks like who follows me. And as you, listen, as you increasingly possess these characters, by the way, it would be great to memorize those uh, verses 3 through 10. You know what I'm saying? 3 through 10, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for me. Blessing. 
blessing, the favor of God, the smile of God upon us as we follow Christ. And then he goes on, and then he ends the introduction of the sermon by saying, hey, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so what we discovered last week on a seventh anniversary Sunday was that we, as we abide in Christ, as we possess these characteristics, we will live with what we all desire to live with, which is inevitable influence. Because Jesus is in us, we will naturally, necessarily affect those around us by the way we live our life. We will shine. And the more we just walk in him, we will shine all the brighter day by day by day. And so it's in light of this as Jesus concludes those words and he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, verse 16, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven that we shouldn't be surprised that now he's going to expound what this looks like. You're saying, like, Jesus, how can I let my light shine? How can I live a life of good works? Well, here you go. And it's all centered on who God has revealed himself to be and who who God has uh, revealed that he wants us to be. And he's revealed himself in the pages of this so we'll look at verses 17 through 20 with me as we read from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called Great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The title of this sermon, what a very simple title, it's Yes. Yes. And, and, and why, why we're titling this sermon, yes, is because, first and foremost, all of God's plans and promises find their yes in Jesus. That's what is happening in verses 17 and 18. When, when Jesus opens up, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law, to set it aside, to do away with it. Okay, He says, I haven't come to set it aside. I've actually come to fulfill it. Now, now, why does Jesus open with like, hey, don't think that this is what it's about, but it's really about this. I mean, perhaps people were saying like, hey, the Messiah, Jesus is doing these things that the Messiah uh, would, would do. And so maybe he's going to come and he's going to give us like a, a brand new law. And he's going to do away with the old law. 
Or perhaps some were seeing that, that Jesus, like, he doesn't keep the law in the same kind of meticulous way that these other religious leaders do. Uh, he seems to be living by a different understanding of the law. And so maybe he wants to just kind of, you know, bring us into a new place and, and set aside the old law. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I haven't come to abolish the law. I haven't come to set it aside. I've come to fulfill it. And what does he mean? This is, just so you know, this is one of the most notoriously difficult verses to understand in the New Testament. And I did a lot of reading this week, and I did a lot of kind of restudying about the, the law of God. And, 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 and the, so the law is, is, is the Old Testament. Specifically, when we talk about the law proper, we're talking about the first five books of the Bible. Okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's known as the Pentateuch, first five. And the, the first five books reveal the law of God. This is where Moses, as he's leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, God gives Moses the law on Mount Sinai, and these are the laws, the regulations, the stipulations, the commands that God wants his people to live by, the people of Israel. And so how do we understand what God has revealed to the people of Israel in the Mosaic law in light of now, not just the First Testament, which is a great way to talk about the Old Testament, the First Testament, to the New Testament, the Second Testament of God's work and interaction with people on the basis of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done. And there are many different ways to understand this. But, but I just want to cut to the chase and give you what I feel like is, is a key to understanding the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament and what Jesus is saying when he says, I didn't come to set it aside, but I came to fulfill it, to bring it to its intended goal, to bring it to its culmination as the kingdom is arriving in Christ, but not yet already fully here until Jesus returns a second time. What, what, what does he mean by this? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, help us out. It says this, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For God has brought all of his promises finding their yes in him. So, 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 so just think about it this way, okay? Uh, and, and sometimes it's a little easier to understand how Jesus fulfills the prophets. Okay, the, the, so the, the Old Testament is, uh, is, is divided into three uh, major sections, okay? The, the law, the writings, and the prophets. And, and really, when uh, Jesus is saying the law and the prophets... It's, it's a euphemistic way of just talking about the whole of the Old Testament, okay? But we do have two distinct parts of, of the Old Testament here highlighted, the law and the prophets. And so if the whole Old Testament points to Jesus, then how do we understand both of these? And we think like prophecy, we can kind of wrap our minds around that because much of that was uh, predictive saying, hey, when the Messiah shows up, this is what's going to go down. And we see this in Matthew, Matthew writing to a primarily Jewish audience. He just keeps highlighting, hey, Old Testament, yes. Old Testament, yes. 
Jesus, yes. Let me show you. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Uh, Mary, the virgin, the angel speaking these uh, words to her that she would give birth to a son, though she was a virgin. And then it says in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so roughly 700 years before Jesus was born, here you go, Isaiah chapter 7 is saying he's going to be born of a virgin. Mary shows up, yes, in Jesus. And then we can go on to chapter 2, and it it says in verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is Micah uh, chapter 5 that that Matthew was quoting, and he's saying, look, Jesus, born in Bethlehem, yes. And then we can go on to chapter 3 and the ministry of John the Baptist. He was the forerunner. He was the one who was coming ahead of the Messiah to prepare the people to say, hey, get ready. The Son of God is about to show up. The Messiah is almost here. And what does it say in verse 2 of chapter 3? This is... Actually, 3.3, three. Uh, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Isaiah 40, 700 years before, written down, there will be one coming before the Messiah in the wilderness, John the Baptist, ding, 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 yes, in Christ. And we could just keep going again and again and again. If you go read Psalm 22, people have said that, that it was though, listen, it was though that Psalm 22 was written underneath the cross of Christ. Depicting the suffering of Jesus, encircled by his enemies, hanging there on a tree, spear in his side, taunted, mocked, spit upon. It's all there in Psalm 22, predicted hundreds of years before. Yes, yes, yes in Christ. Isaiah 53, same thing. For for telling of the, the death of the suffering servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ. So it's clear that when we look at the the prediction, by the way, this is one of the reasons why I believe Jesus is the Son of God. So if if you're doubting, like, hey, is this legit? Is this real? Can I trust this story? Like, like just do do some research and, and just start doing the math. I can remember as a kid, like, there was this illustration, and, and I've never, like, just forgive me, I've never, like, gone and done the, the empirical research to verify if this, if this sticks, but it's, like, it, it sticks. Um, so, so they said that um, if you took all the predictive prophecies of the Old Testament and you were to discover that they were all fulfilled in one person, the odds of that happening are the same if you took silver dollars and placed them across the state of Texas three coins deep, and you were just to walk the state and pick up the one that is marked with the golden axe. Wow. Everything's pointing to Jesus' predictive prophecy. And yet, we must not limit the 
prophets to only prediction, okay, nor certainly the law to prediction or um, simply promises. But, but you see, the law, the writings, and, and the prophets, they're all foretelling the plans of God, the promises of God that are now finding their yes in Him. God's story of creation to our fall and sin, how He's going to redeem and save us, that whole story is pointing to Jesus Christ. All of God's promises are yes in Him. And so we've, we, we, whenever we teach from the Old Testament here at Redemption Hill, we do our best. If you remember like the work series in Daniel, like the true and greater Daniel, like it, 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 it ends up at Jesus. Jesus is the true and greater Adam, who where Adam failed the test in the garden, Jesus answered the test and said yes to the commands of God, fighting off temptation. Jesus is the true and greater sacrifice. He's the true and greater Jacob who would wrestle with God all night in prayer. He's the true and greater Moses. He's our true and greater redemption. Jesus is the serpent lifted up in Numbers 21, who if people would look to him, they would live and find life. This is what he says in John chapter 3. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so I too will be lifted up on the cross. If you look to me, you will live. All the plans of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God find their yes in him. They're like Every single theme, every single theme in the Old Testament, if we're reading about peace, if we're reading about zeal, if we're reading about, uh, you know, uh, commitment, it all leads us to Jesus Christ. All of the plans and promises of God find their yes in him. And so Jesus shows up and he, and he would teach people and say, look, all of the, the law and the, the writings and the prophets, all of the Old Testament they are testifying to me. They are pointing people like a, a huge neon arrow sign saying, I am coming. Everything is found in me. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. He didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. But then you say, well, Tanner, well, like, what do we do with the law? Like, if, if Jesus fulfills it, like, then does it have any relevance for my life today? Like, should, should we even read the Old Testament? Like, if, 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 if Jesus is the end of the law for all who believe, we have to ask ourselves, what does the end of the law mean? And I think it means he is the goal, the culmination of the law. Again, that everything is pointing to him. And yet, so, so you just have a spectrum. And this is where my mind was hurting this week. If I can just let you into a pastor's mind, like preparing to teach. And, you know, the like number one goal, at least one of the number one goals of a teacher is like not to be a heretic. You know what I'm saying? Like don't say something that's false. Don't like teach anything like in the, in the slightest bit that might not be true to God's word. And so there are different views of, of how we relate the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it's on the spectrum of continuity and discontinuity. All right? In other words, some people see such continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament that, that there is just a, a carryover uh, where uh, the church, New Testament Christians, us, replace Israel 
And the covenant is very strong. It it's, it's continues into uh, the New Testament. And even the extreme end of that is like everything that God said in the law we should do today. If it's not explicitly abrogated or nullified in the New Testament like the sacrificial system. And yet, we know that if we get down into the weeds of that and we look at the teaching of Jesus, that's not, that doesn't seem what he's saying. It's not a complete continuity, but it's also not a complete discontinuity, right? Some people see such a sharp discontinuity that they say the Old Testament has no relevance for the New Testament. And so they say, like, don't even worry about it. Don't even read it. Like, I know uh, some pastors, like, never teach out of the Old Testament because they don't see a use for it. And I just say that's not right either. What What does the law do? And the New Testament helps us. It says that, that the law was, is good because, number one, don't miss this, and this is the whole Bible. Okay, we're just going to keep talking about this one today. All right? The whole Bible, if it is from God, it reveals the heart of God. So, so every time you open this book, the 66-book book, what should be happening can, can, can I just preach for a minute and just be real? You're not coming to words on a page. You're not coming to words on a page. And this moves me. This moves me because I've seen it in my own life. I wake up and I read the Bible because I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. That's what pastors do, much less Christians do, right? So, and, but, but it's no more than words on a page. The, the word is not, the living word is not alive to me. For whatever reason, perhaps personal sin in my life or just the distraction, the cares of the world. Can I make a confession? Even as pastors, sometimes we get so busy doing things for God that we miss just being with God. Wow. What a shame. What a shame. And so it burdens me because I know it in my own life, but it burdens me because I know many of you, many of you, the Bible right now in your life is little more than words on a page. The Bible is God's book. It's from God revealing the heart of God and so every word on that page is, is, is a word of love. It's a word of relationship. God is our father. He wants to communicate us like a father to a son or a daughter. So he wants you to lean into his heart. Like when you open up this book, it's, 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 it's you and God more real. More real than sitting down face to face with a friend. God, would you do it? God, even in these moments, give us faith to believe that that's like a real thing. Well, can't stop there. The law is more than that. The law reveals the heart of God, the character of God. 
It also restrains evil, right? So there are these commands and prohibitions that, are, that God is saying, like, if you, if you go there, it's going to be trouble for you. There's not going to be life there. There's going to be death there. At the end of that road, if you deviate from my plan, so the law restrains evil. It keeps us back from things that would destroy us. But then also, because we are lawbreakers, because we are sinful people, because we blow it regularly and we deviate from God's plan and we rebel against him, the law exposes the foolishness of our hearts and shows us our need for God. And so the law is to point us to Christ and his salvation that is found in him and him alone. We don't measure up. We can't keep the law. We can't do all these things that God has said to do. Like if you just talk about the Ten Commandments, you know what I'm saying? Like has there any, ever been a time you've elevated something more important than God in your life? That's number one. Yes. So the law shows us our need for Christ. And so, so what, do we, what do we do with it? Like if, if it's not like totally irrelevant, nor totally binding on us today. Like, what do we, what do, we do with it? And, and the best explanation I can give you today is that the law, because it's been fulfilled in Christ, it, it, it is, it is uh, the law is, is revealed in its truest and deepest sense in Christ, as he has fulfilled the law. Yes, certain things, the sacrificial system, in all of, all of the, the ceremonial law, it's been fulfilled in Christ. Jesus is our better sacrifice. There's, there's no need to go through a priest because Jesus is our high priest. We have immediate access to God whenever we want. Amazing. And yeah, listen, just, just for what it's worth, and some of you kind of studied this stuff, and so I'm just going to throw out some like kind of deeper end of the pool stuff here this morning. Okay, sometimes you'll hear, and even like pastors and traditions I really love and respect and read a lot, you know, that, that it's the, the moral and the civil and the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial and the civil law, the civil is the, the law for Israel, the, the, for, for them, the governance of the people of Israel. They'll say like, those two are clearly gone, but not the moral law. But that doesn't really stand because what parts of those other laws are amoral, you know? It's just, it's just, it's just like, it's, it's, it's nice to try to get some kind of neat packaging around all this, but, but at the end of the day, there, there are difficulties with each one. And so I would say that the best that, that I can share today is to say that in Christ, now there is a newness and a fullness that is revealed as he is the end of the law, the, the goal of the law, and it's fulfilled in him. And I just want to give you one verse to show you kind of what this looks like. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give you. And then here's the irony. What does he say? Love one another. New? Jesus, like Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not new. I'll keep reading. Love one another, just as I have loved you, so you also love one another. So, so as, we, as we read the Old Testament, as we read the law revealing the heart of God, we see some, some principles and truths and commands are just brought straight over to the New Testament. 
we see other very abstract and civil or ceremonial, and we'll see that God is telling the people of Israel, hey, don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And you're saying, like, what is that? I don't have a goat. Like, what do I do with that? But, but, but even, even in that day, what God was saying is don't get caught up in the pagan practices of, of the surrounding cultures that worship idols, but not me. Oh, well, I, can, I, can, I can live that. Wholehearted worship and devotion to you, God. Be holy as I am holy. Like, just read Leviticus. I know the, in your Bible reading plan, everyone gets like tripped up at Leviticus, but just keep reading Leviticus. If for no other reason you're getting every day, be holy as I am holy. This is what we're made for. We're made to know God. We're made to reflect God. We're made to live for God. And so all of God's promises and plans are yes in Christ. And all of God's promises and plans are yes in him because, don't miss this, Jesus always said yes to God's law. And let me just explain for a minute, okay? Because Jesus always lived the life that God the Father wants every human being to live. It says in Hebrews chapter 1 that, Jesus loved righteousness and hated wickedness. So this is how he lived his life. He was, in, in, not just in action, but thought, motive, everything for Jesus. He was on track, always living according to God's plan. And so it's on the basis of the active righteousness of Christ, Jesus always doing what God wants, that he can be the perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sin. So, so listen, don't miss this. Jesus can be the fulfillment of all these promises because he perfectly fulfilled the law. And what I'm trying to get at is this, is that our salvation depends on Jesus doing exactly what God said again and 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 again. Yes, yes, yes. So when Jesus then in Matthew 5 says, I came to fulfill the law. And listen, look at verse 18. For truly, amen. He says, grab his attention. Like, Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Until heaven and earth pass away, not in the odor, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so what Jesus is saying is like the smallest letter of, of the, the Hebrew or Greek alphabet, Iota's Greek, or the, the smallest stroke, it will never pass away until all is accomplished in me. And so what we have here is Jesus' view of the Bible that is saying it is absolutely authoritative, absolutely trustworthy, absolutely reliable, absolutely inspired and given by God, and therefore it's absolutely in error, without error or flaw. And you say, well, Tanner, like, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you, why do you accept it as, as true? Every single word. It's because I'm a Christian. 
I follow Jesus, and this was Jesus' view of the, of the, of the book. It's just, quite frankly, it's as simple as that. And so Jesus loved God's word. He revered it. He knew it. And just as an aside, as we look at the fulfillment of the law in Christ, listen, I, I, know, I know you struggle. I know you, you're fighting against these things that hold you back from the life that God wants for you. I know you're tempted by sin. And, and the way that Jesus fought temptation in his life and these things that want to, to trip us up and make us stumble and even destroy our lives is by living according to the word by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within him. And so listen, the only thing that you need, ultimately, listen, ultimately, the only thing that you need is the power of God at work in you to live out the truth of God. That's all you need. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness and Satan was tempting him, hey, hey you haven't eaten for 40 days, here's some bread. And what does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What you need to live for God is nothing more than God himself. I mean, his truth revealed in his word. And so all of God's promises, his plans, find their yes in Jesus because Jesus always said yes to God's law. And so, and so here's our response. I'm going to cover this probably a little quicker than I would like. Don't, don't miss this. We put our yes in the yes of Jesus. We, we put our yes in the yes of Jesus. And so, so this is what Jesus goes on to say. He says, therefore, in verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never, listen, you will never, this is for you today, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What, what are we saying here? For someone that follows Jesus, they take his view of the Bible. They treasure it. They say it's authoritative. They say, I want to know it better than I know anything on earth. You with me? Hey, guess what? That doesn't happen in two minutes a day. need that. God change us. And so we, we know the word, but it's not enough to know it. We must live it. We must do it. And what Jesus is saying here is that your right living, how you do the law, how you live the law, how you keep my intentions for you, my commandments for you, it must be in a way that is flowing from the inside out rather than this external performance that looks really good on the outside, but there's no life and power and sincerity on the inside. Because what's going on here is this. 
When Jesus says your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, he is again laying down a statement that would absolutely have taken back his audience. It's like saying to you, hey, show up at Fenway in a couple nights and hit a baseball like J.D. Martinez. In terms of like the scribes were the were, were the, the, the 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 teachers of the law. They were they were the ones that, 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 that copied the law. They knew the law inside and out. And the Pharisees were the religious leaders who kept it meticulously. They knew that there were 16, 613 laws. And not only did they keep those 613 laws meticulously, but then they made up more laws just to look more righteous before everyone else. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you're doing all of these things, but you're doing them for you, not for God. And your heart is not in it. We'll never be... Counted righteous before God. We'll never be welcomed into his presence. We'll never be saved. We'll never be redeemed. We'll never experience eternity with God forever. If we don't have more than just some decent behavior with our lives. It's not enough. It's not enough to show up to church on Sundays. It's not enough to read your Bible occasionally. It's not enough to pray. If, if you're just doing that to earn your way to God, this is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. To look good before God and look to, to look good before other people, but not flowing from a heart that truly loves Him, that's been changed from the inside out. And so... We must know God's book, we must live it, and we must teach it to other people. Jesus says it's, it's not enough to, to, to refrain from relaxing the commands of God, but, but if you're teaching others to do the same, then you're going to be called least in the kingdom. The implication here is that Jesus expects his followers, all right? So like, remember, this is Jesus to his disciples. And if you call yourself a follower of Christ, or if you're exploring what that means, then here you go, okay? This is for you. It's not enough to know the words. It's not even enough to live the words. Jesus expects us to tell other people who he is and what he's done. We teach others. We share with others. This is the life of a disciple, do not make the mistake coming to the Sermon on the Mount and seeing all these things about ethics and our behavior and how we're to live and what we're to do with religious devotion and, and not lust and not anger and let our yes be yes and pray in the closet and give without doing it for the praise of others and, and, and all of these things that Jesus says and think like this is just a, a sermon that's telling me to live like Jesus as if that only means doing right things and being devoted to God, and that doesn't include actually telling other people what God has said. Mission is all over the Sermon on the Mount. What else does light shine mean before other people that they can glorify God who is in heaven? As we put our yes inside of the yes of Christ, because of what he's done for us, his grace and love flowing to us, 
Now we say yes to everything he said, and we try to help as many people as we possibly can find their yes and his yes. This is the way to enter the kingdom. This is the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is the only way to be called, yes, great in the kingdom of heaven. Not that we're seeking greatness for ourselves and the name on, no. That God would look at us and say, hey, you lived a great life. Because you gave everything to me. And you gave your whole heart and you followed me and you brought other people into that. Our yes found in the yes of Jesus Christ. I want to pray. I want to invite the band up as I pray. I just want to, just for a moment, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes, just for a moment. If you would just focus on God, just, just for a just in a very intense way here, just for a couple more moments. My prayer for you today is that you would see who Jesus is and you would see how amazing and captivating he is as all, the fulfillment of all of God's plans and promises, the means of our salvation. God has given us everything when he's given us Christ. That you would, you would be so captivated and amazed that it, would, that it would change your desires from the inside out and say, God, I just have to have more of you. God, fill me with your fullness. Empower me by your spirit to love you more than I love all the other things around me. All the other relationships, all the, all the, all the, all the good stuff, all the junk. Like just, God, move my heart into your heart. And perhaps if, 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 if you haven't said yes to the gift of Jesus, and, and you, you would say, like, my righteousness is, is found in my own works, not in what Jesus has done for me. I'm just like a Pharisee. Then perhaps today is the day that you would say, I want to enter the kingdom on Jesus' terms. I want to follow him with everything I've got. So whatever decision you need to make before God, I want to ask you to cry out to him as we pray and then as we stand and sing. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Jesus, the yes, your yes. Thank you for changing us by your grace in Christ. Help us love you more. Make us love you more. Empower us to live the lives that you've called us to live so that our light will shine with intense radiance and brilliance so that everyone will know that you are God and King. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.